Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. Here we go, Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to SST on Apple Podcasts app, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate you all the same. Spending part of your day with us. Spending part of his night with me right now. NBA Outsider, OG Sports Blog New York podcast host, now still OG Subway Sports Talk host, John Lucas Duffy. was good? Only OGs know about what is Wooter. Yo, <laughs> what is Wooter podcast though? If you think about it, I have no idea. Still, nobody knows, and that's hilarious. That's a real throwback. I I always feel uh, a certain, I don't know, gut feeling that I have to bring up when it's just me and you, or just me and Alec, uh, to to talk about the OG hood of this podcast, where you and I were literally sitting over a bed. Uh, into a Mac laptop it sounded terrible, but we were spitting out hot fire takes no matter what. Uh, so it we feels, waited feels longer right. for GarageBand to start up than we did to actually do the podcast. <laughs> Though, uh, if you do know our history, we also be steady out here doing like hour and a half episodes. So that's how old and crappy my old computer was. It literally like we would open it up and then we'd take thirty minutes to do a pre-show while my computer got going. <laughs> it was so bad, but hey, look where we are now. Um, we're here to talk basketball, obviously. That's what we do best. And we've we've made it pretty far, man. We've done some good stuff. So shout out to you. Shout out to me. Shout out to us. Shout out to everyone, all the listeners. Um, thank you again for listening. Hit up that subscribe, rate, review stuff on Apple uh, iTunes. Uh, it means a lot to us when you guys reach out. Tell us you like the pod. Tell us you like us. Whatever it may be. So appreciate you. But Duff, oh, first off, shout out Frank Villani, Kyle Anderson, Andrew Duffy. Not here tonight. But Duff, we just watched a... Very interesting game. It wasn't very interesting the whole time, but as a whole, it was very interesting where the Sixers and the Lakers, who I'm deeming the leaders in the clubhouse of their respective conferences, faced off. We also have MVP candidates in LeBron James and Joel Embiid facing off. And when it came down to it, the sneaky hero was my guy, Tobias Harris. (laughs) Your guy since one. I'm being sarcastic. I crap on him at every chance I get. Um, so it's important to talk about this because I'm not sure we can find a team in the league better than Lakers or even as good as the Lakers right now. And we're not sure that there's a team in the Eastern conference who we can confidently say is better than the Sixers right now. So this is a team you follow closely in the Sixers, a team everyone follows closely in the Lakers. What did you expect from this game? And what did you learn? Take, just take me there. Yeah, okay. So this this is basically what I expected because you you know coming into this, James had his statement game against the Cavs. You know, he's gonna put up big numbers. And he I think he scored twenty one in the fourth quarter of that game. And I think he went for forty six overall against the Cavs. So coming in tonight, he's hot, he's feeling himself. Lakers undefeated on the road this season, ten and zero. So they they pretty much showed up as expected in the Sixers actually from top to bottom played really well tonight even uh ben simmons decided to show up tonight because they happened to be playing against the lakers but 
still the number one thing I see with the Sixers is when a beat is not on the court, this team uh, uh, just lacks identity. So, for example, him and Simmons were very staggered tonight in their minutes. Embiid was a plus eight. Simmons was a minus 11. Mm. Not great. So, you know, do you want to do a more direct comparison? Dwight Howard, who was Embiid's replacement, minus six. So, you know, you hope you, in Howard's defense, when your backups come in, especially for your best player, if you go even, that's that's a positive, right? Yeah. Well, he only played so, seven minutes, by the way. Excuse me? He only played seven minutes. So minus six and seven minutes is not what you want. I know, and he was just up to t- just absurd chicanery. He had four fouls, easily could have fouled out. Like, it's funny. I don't know if you were watching that whole fourth quarter, but the amount of like illegal screens the Sixers were setting were just absurd. And they actually only called like the one illegal offensive foul on the screen that they actually called against Tobias Harris, who was running off of the screen mm-hmm. on yes, like an that inbound. Was that made no sense. That was like a double makeup call. In my mind. And that's also why LeBron James is the best, is that the refs were just doing the dumbest shit for the Sixers tonight. And he still was, like, just trying his ass off on on uh, on the offensive end. Like, oh, it's going to be one of those. Okay, so I know you are you have to call this if you're going to call that. Like, that's right. kind of how it felt like he was playing. He was, like, playing. He, he was playing the game. He wasn't playing basketball. It was very strange to watch. And it's not partic- particularly manipulation. It's more understanding what's being called and just taking advantage of it. Right. It's not, he's understanding how others are trying to manipulate them. So he's like, Oh, I'm manipulate the manipulators. Which you can say LeBron James for his career. It's really what he can do. The way he controls the game, way he can control the ball and uh, entire offense. Basically we've always said with LeBron James, that's your offensive scheme. Like what's your scheme? Is it pick and roll? Is it, you know, get shooters open? Nah, it's whatever LeBron James feels like in the moment, you know, in that game. So he he's doing his thing. His numbers were stupid tonight. 12 of 22. Uh, it's just normal, normal night for him. 34 points, you know, six rebounds, six assists. It's literally a normal night. Um, so yeah. And, and you, I didn't catch most of the first half. You had texted at some point where you were like, all right, the fix is in. It feels like, the refs want the Sixers to win this. Is this another case of Embiid just being unguardable and getting to the free throw line at will? What what was going on there? He it feels like he's been anointed as just the next superstar in the NBA. So we we all know that you know that people love to say this about Jordan back in the day too. Is like you know superstars get the calls. You know especially guys like Jordan got to protect the superstars, cash cow the league, nobody touches him, can't play dirty on him. The Pistons used to always get pissed about it, all that stuff, right? Even though the Pistons were beating the shit out of everyone, but whatever. There's some truth to it. Embiid has taken almost 70 free throws in the past four games. So for all you math majors out there, that's that's what boils down to a lot per game. <laughs> so he's, you want me to get my taking, calculator out? He's he no he's he's taking a lot of free throws per game, over fifteen a game. Jeez, between fifteen and twenty free throws per game. Tonight he only had thirteen, and and the one game he had against the Celtics, I believe he had twenty one. So. That that skews it pretty high, but even you see 13 is on the quote-unquote low end for him at this point. So this is what I mean where I feel like the Sixers and Embiid have been anointed for some reason. I It feels WWE-ish where the Bucks were just kind of naturally better than everybody, 
and it just kind of naturally fell that way. Now it's like, all right, people tired of the Bucks. Celtics are in trouble. Injuries, COVID, Jason Tatum, you know, Kemba's banged up. All right, Sixers, you know, even we'll just Embiid's got to become a, a superstar, superhero, because even Ben Simmons is just not showing up so far this season. Of course, he plays well against LeBron because that's like his idol, but. I digress. That's classic. I mean, 17 points has been a big scoring night for him this year. That's what that's what he should average just because he's that athletic. He commands the court, especially the fast break. You know, he com- commands the court to an extent, obviously, because we're going to talk about the final sequences of that game where Ben Simmons' command of the court was non-existent and he didn't even want to be out there, I don't think. We're, g- we're going to get to that. But 17 points should be this guy's average, right? I don't think that's that much to ask based off of what he averaged his first couple years. You expect uh, an uptick to 17. And, and if this is a guy who I love, Ben Simmons, right? I want him to be a superstar. I think he can be a superstar. It's his third year. He's been, you know, all defense. I think he's, was he all, I don't know if he was all NBA. I don't think he was yet, right? But he's been an all-star. This guy should be. I think he was third team all NBA last season. Was he? Okay, that, that makes sense. Because obviously the defense has been incredible for him at points of his career. But for him not to increase the points per game. I, I know it's kind of weirdly nitpicking with a guy like him, but his floor should be 15 to 17 points, and he's been averaging 12 this year. Granted, he had 11 rebounds, 10 assists. That's normal for him. It's just disappointing. Uh, I do want to go to the Embiid free throw thing, though, because I don't know. You're not on Twitter uh, very much here, Duff, right? No, not at all, really. So I went on a little uh, you know, a little thread, if you will, as they call it in the Twitter.com uh, world, and I was talking about free throws in the NBA currently right now. And listen to this. Since, actually, since you don't know, let me ask you as a question. What was the last year that somebody not named James Harden led the league in free throws? The last how many year how many seasons, how many seasons ago, if you will? So I'd have to say it's the 2011-2012 season. Okay, not that far back, but close. 2014-15. So he's okay. led he's led the the league in free throws for six straight seasons. I was just trying to think the last season he was in Oklahoma. That's right. where I, I pulled that number from. So his first year in Houston, he was behind Kevin Durant by like point four uh, free throw attempts per game, but it was very, very close. He was at 10. Uh, so since 2014-15, no one in the league, not named James Harden, has led the uh, league in free throws. This year, there's a new leader in town. It's Joel Embiid. He's at 10.7 right now, and it's going up. I, that was actually a number from a day or two ago, so it's probably a little bit higher. Uh, and this matters because literally... Nobody can guard Embiid right now. And we were talking about the Nets and the Sixers and how they match up. And your first reaction was the Sixers are a great matchup for the, well, the Sixers match up great with the Nets because nobody can guard Embiid. DeAndre Jordan would foul out in five seconds, right? So just for more context here, uh, James Harden in those last six, those six years, there was one year where Boogie Cousins tied for the same amount, I think it was 10.2 free throws per game in 2015-16, but he played 20 less games and shot 15% below James Harden. James Harden's like an 80-something, you know, 86 career uh, free throw shooter. Joel Embiid... Boogie Cousins had stupid usage rate in Sacramento back in the day. (laughs) People was. People do, honestly. But that was Boogie Cousins, stupid usage rate, not super efficient at the line. Joel Embiid, on the other hand, a big... Who you can say at Boogie's prime, you know, they have a similar enough skill set. Boogie was probably a little more agile, not as refined in a lot of other places. 
So he's up from his career 79% to 83% for Joel Embiid, which is freaking awesome for a center. And just to top it off, he's shooting 40% from three this year. So the Embiid talk is no joke, Duff. Um, and I don't know if it's a narrative thing that you're saying where the league is really pushing this. Maybe it's Embiid getting the more serious, getting more serious and understanding what he can do to opposing defenses. But this season he's putting together is absolutely no joke. And if he stays healthy, why the hell not MVP Joel Embiid? Why not, man? Like you said, he's delivering. Like it's not, he's not the one blowing the whistle. Like no shade to Embiid at all. I mean, obviously this is great for the team I root for. I'm just trying to keep it real, you know? And, uh, I just see he's, he's always tried to do this. Like, I don't really see how he's playing differently in terms of trying to draw contact. Now the difference I see particularly in his post game is how, how much more diverse he is now. And what I mean by that is he's not always looking to just draw a foul. He's not always looking to just, you know, cut across the lane or face up. Like he's, he's, he's doing all those things. He's facing up. He's looking to draw contact. He's looking to just score outright, go baseline. You know, you saw he, he beat Anthony Davis baseline, had a reverse layup, got hit in the head, clearly a foul and, and hit the layup. So that's and one. And then teams have been doubling him and he, he hasn't been, he, he's been passing early out of the double team into this, making the simple pass, forcing defenses to rotate. And it's, he's drawn, like, I would love to know the amount of hockey assists he's had this season. Cause I feel like it would be really sneaky high, especially to wide open three point shooters. Um, so that, so that, that's, that's something that I mentioned to you guys after, uh, the Sixers were playing the magic in like the first or second week of the season. And I was talking about Embiid and his, and the post and like a bunch of straight possessions. He had like layup, layup, drew a foul, got free throws, you know, drew a foul on the floor, kick out to an open three point shooter for a make for a miss hockey assist. Like he, he just was so much more confident and in command of the post. And that's something that he does that, I don't think anyone else in the league is doing right now. You know, Anthony Davis is is just as deadly a scorer and just as versatile, but his back to the basket game is is not nearly as good as Embiid's. And I don't know if that has to do with you know footwork, size. Davis is a little more slender. His skill set's more about putting the ball in the deck, facing up from long range, just because he is he has those guard skills from when he was smaller player in high school before he sprouted up. But you know. The thing I love to watch about Embiid is his game's a little bit of a throwback right now. Even Jokic loves to step away from the basket, shoot those uh, those mid-range step backs. What are those? What are what do they call those again, Pete? You remember? A mid-range. What do you mean? A long time. No, they had like a they had like a specific name, some Serbian thing for uh, Jokic. Oh, I'm not. I'm not aware. It's like the Sambor shuffle thing or whatever. Oh, what when he does the spin the spinneroonie? Yeah, those, the the one footed fadeaway. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. but. I don't know. Embiid's, but what's what's funny about Embiid is like, what's his signature move? I have no idea. It's like the pump fake at the three point line. I was gonna say his his go signature left. move that works or doesn't work. Because yeah. I I mean, granted that that pump fake at the top of the key works more than it should for some reason. Uh, but that's so like, crazy. It's still, so crazy to it's me still to keep... this day. It's been working for like three or four straight years. I don't know how. Wait, do you know that? Well, I just pulled up Joel Embiid's basketball reference real quick, and you know, quick aside. Um, you know, like the nicknames on Basketball Reference. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, JoJo makes sense. The process is accurate. Accurate. Yep. Troel 
Embiid, you know, I can get I behind like that. that. You never know, heard I've it, but I like it. it. Do a one eighty. Is that a nickname? Well, do a one eighty Embiid. I I I guess according to Basketball Reference. <laughs> I digress. I feel like that's a reference to like some some tweet he had that went viral that I don't remember now. That makes sense. But no, when, when I think about Joel Embiid's signature move, it's funny you bring it up because I wanted to move this to the next topic about the Sixers before we get to the Lakers here is what happens late in games when you need a bucket, you know, with 20 seconds left, 40 seconds left, et cetera. Um, I thought I would say his, mid-ra- uh, his mid-range pull-up, he does like a little hezzy dribble or like a little you know, jab step into a, a mid-ranger that nobody can guard because he's so much taller and bigger. He puts a little bit of a fade on it. Now, he missed it tonight, uh, but I feel like that's one of his go-to moves, and that keeps defenses so honest that when he starts getting into his bag with the post moves, they don't know what to do because they also have in the back of their head the entire time that he can just hit a little elbow jumper from anywhere, you know, or from anywhere in that elbow extended range. Yeah. All right, real quick, real quick. Let's switch it up. Let's go over to oh, but shout out Tobias. I know we haven't even mentioned because whatever. Nope. But shout out Tobias Harris. Wait, were you going to switch to the Lakers? Winner. Yeah, yeah. Okay, can I get one more thing in on the uh, the Sixers? Because then we'll, then we'll move. Because this is the last thing I wanted to do. Go ahead. Um, first of all, Ben Simmons. After it was about thirty seconds left, there was an offensive rebound. They kick it out to Ben Simmons at the top of the key, which is what you normally would do, right? Give it back oh, to yeah, your yeah, point yeah. guard at the top of the key, and. He looked like he wanted nothing to do with the basketball stuff. Like, he wanted nothing to do with it. He couldn't get rid of it soon enough. He gave it to Danny Green, covered in the corner, when Tobias, I believe, had Alex Caruso on him uh, at the, the foul line area. And it was just horrendous. And I was like, wow. You know, we talked about Giannis last week on this podcast about how, you know, he can't do anything when it matters most because defenses. You know, it's too predictable. They can prepare and they they can stop him from getting to where he needs to be. Ben Simmons is even less than that when it matters most with 40 seconds left, 20 seconds left, etc. Um, and then in the last possession after that, so that's number one, Ben Simmons not wanting anything to do at the end of the game, which sucks. Then after that, they get one more possession after a great ATO we'll get to with the Lakers. And we have a Seth Curry, Tobias Harris, pick and roll to get the switch at the top of the key. Now, if I told you, Duff, after 16 games this year, that you had a Seth Curry, Tobias Harris pick and roll against the Lakers at the top of the key with 10 seconds left to win the game. Do you think we're saying the Sixers are the best team in the East? What the hell is that? I think I'm saying uh, Embiid must be banged up. He must not have been playing. And granted, he, it was their best. It was their best option, though. I think it was. I thought it was it, it was a great shot at the end of the game. Clear, wide open, little step back, 15 footer for Harris. That was that was a great shot and. Uh, Embiid actually kind of was banged up at the end of that game. His back seemed to be tightening up or whatever, but that's that's wild. At the beginning of the game, if you're like, oh, game winner, who's getting it? What's the, what's the game-winning play? And it's not going to be like, yeah, Seth Curry's going to screen for Tobias Harris at the top of the key out of a timeout. It's like, it's I, not, I, it's not what you I wouldn't have had my money. That was plus 5,000 at, <laughs> at tip-off today. For real. But Tobias Harris, you know, I'll tip my hat. I, I, I talk a lot of smack to him. Uh, on this podcast, not to him, but you know what I mean. Uh, he, he's he been playing for real, for real this year, and it's helping out. And we talk about Chris Middleton, you know, maybe not getting enough credit or enough opportunity for doing what he does in Milwaukee, maybe coming up short sometimes. Tobias Harris is probably in that Chris Middleton range, and unfortunately the Sixers need him pretty much as much as the Bucks need Chris Middleton. Last numbers roundup before we move to the Lakers. I know you have comments there. Joel Embiid's shot breakdown by distance. 
he is taking uh, 3% or 2.5% less threes per game and shooting a higher percentage. So that's a very nice win. He's up from 33% on threes to 40% and only from uh, 20% of his shots to now uh, 18% of his shots. So that's a nice little thing for him there. More efficient, less threes. He's not forcing it as much. Um, and he's taken way more shots uh, from that 3 to 10 range, which is where he cooks in the post with that little mid-range shot and around the rim, you know, just a percentage point difference than, than normal. Um, but, yeah, that's the Joel Embiid shot breakdown right now. Obviously, the free throws are way up, too. All right, Duff, on to the Lakers. What do you got? All right, I said it before. I'll say it again. LeBron James, still the best player in the NBA. I hope he wins another MVP just for the sake of winning it. It'll be like a pseudo-lifetime achievement award. You know, he might not have the best statistical season, but he's still the best player, and he's like 36 years old. So he had an incredible pass there where Embiid, Embiid was the primary defender after a switch. So James is dribbling left down the lane, and he just kind of sticks his head into Embiid to create space, somehow creates that space, goes over his head with the ball and just like kind of like whips up a bounce pass that like dances along the out of bounds line that goes past Embiid past the weak side defender who I think was Danny Green and out to the spot up corner shooter who I think was KCP but I can't quite remember I don't know oh was it yeah no it was it was KCP he took a little side It'll step be on hit the three center, yeah. So. yeah yeah everyone will see that pass it's just it's just so fun to watch him play um and tonight, Anthony Davis, I mean, he had 23 points, eight rebounds, two assists, two blocks, but I feel like he was really quiet tonight. He's over three from three. And, you know, Marc Gasol was one of the guys in the East who used to be able to stop and beat, you know, Gasol uh, specifically. Yeah, it was specifically Marc Gasol and Al Horford. And now both those guys are kind of just aged out of that option. And and no one has anything to do with Joel Embiid anymore on the block. Like, if you let him get to his spot, you can't do nothing with him. So, yeah. That's, I mean, this the, the Lakers really played well down the stretch. They really executed well. That that after timeout, you were dead right. That that was just, I loved it so much. Even though they were going to lose, I was just like, wow, what a clean play. Like, it was you can't do anything, just freaking layup, of course. Yeah, and uh, on Anthony Davis real quick, it, it seems like, you know, we were thinking about this season and – you know, right after the the shortened offseason, the Lakers went to the championship and won it. You know, they've made it kind of clear coming in. They weren't, or at least LeBron made it clear. You know, I'm not going to be going wild. I'll let AD do his. I'll let this guy do that or whatever. It's actually been the opposite. Anthony Davis has been the guy who hasn't been doing as much as LeBron James. LeBron is taking, uh, he's playing 33 minutes a night. And Anthony Davis is 32 and a, they're, they're about the same amount of minutes really. But you would expect... Anthony Davis at 27 to be carrying a little bit more of the load. His points are down five points per game. He's taken two shots less a game than last year. Meanwhile, you know, LeBron is pretty much just doing what he does. 18, 19 shots a game, 25, eight and seven and a half or 25, seven and seven, whatever it is. So it's a little strange to me that AD seems to be the one taking a little longer to get the juices flowing. And it showed again tonight. I just still can't believe the Lakers came back and won that game. (laughs) It's kind of wild. So let's talk about, the Lakers death almost almost won that game sorry that's what I meant got back into the game because they were down like 14 in the fourth quarter and and came back I'm telling you Embiid's back was tightening up and he just kind of came out of the offense except for like those mid-range leaners you're talking about right that was that to me was like the difference in the fourth quarter 
is he just wasn't moving the same way. Like once Embiid comes off the Sixers, totally different team. But continue your point, Lakers. Yeah, so right. I, yeah, I forgot that they didn't actually win the game. But just to talk about them, that was their first road loss of the season. And it goes against one of the best home teams. Obviously, this year with COVID is different for home crowds and whatnot. But still, Sixers are one of the best home teams there is. Lakers were 10-0 on the road. Somehow they made it close. Now, when you think about this team as a whole, outside of LeBron and Anthony Davis, to me, the Dennis Schroeder pickup is absolutely outrageous. You have a guy in Schroeder who's not always the most efficient. You know, he's not like the best defender, but he's pretty damn solid. But you have a guy in him who now can like seriously be like, all right, AD, Bron, like stand in the corner. I can truly make shit happen out here. Have you been impressed with Schroeder, or at least were you impressed with him tonight? I don't know his numbers. I've definitely been impressed with him, and like you said, he's not always the most efficient offensively, defensively, not always uh, the most tenacious. Um, but what's interesting about him is, like, he, he mentally, he's above average when it comes to basketball. Like, he, he's definitely above average, and I think – when he's on a team like the Lakers with LeBron James, with Anthony Davis, Marcus Saul, you know, uh, KCP, uh, Wesley Matthews, Caruso, you know, guys like that, all from superstardom to just kind of above average, guys who get it, know how to play the game. He Schroeder is someone who's, when his cast around him is better, he will play better. Like he will exponentially kind of get better with the teammates he has around him because of the way he can facilitate to them, play off them on or off the ball, catch and shoot, be a help defender, good on ball defend defender with his length. Like he can guard up someone who's six, six, even though he's only like six, three because his wingspan is like eight feet. That guy's it's, <laughs> it's crazy. It solves a lot of problems for you offensively and defensively. I know, you know, people joke about Jay billets always talking about it, but it matters. Um, so I, I really like Schroeder this season. Yeah, I mean, I've always kind of been a fan. He got the short end of the stick in Atlanta because he was trying to be the man on a crap team. He got out of there in the nick of time. And, and if he was the man on that team, it would have been a crap team. It, yeah, no it was it. it was a crap team. They were not very good. That's how they got Trey Young, right? Uh, so he moves on at the nick of time, and last year with OKC just completely revamps his uh, aura around the league, like what he is expected to do, what he's looked at as, and his numbers are taking a hit right now. He's not efficient. He's shooting under 30% from three, I believe, at the moment. So that'll come around, and yet still, every time I've watched the Lakers, I'm like, oh my God, having him is freaking awesome because it makes Montrez Harrell better. It makes Caruso have a little bit less ball handling uh, responsibility, but be able to do some of the stuff he does well. You know, Kuzma, Contavious, Caldwell Pope, they obviously need people to help them get shots. So that to me just stands out every time I watch him. He he can just help LeBron and AD just take a breath yeah. for a couple possessions in a row. Schroeder, go get a couple buckets, make something happen. You know, just t- carry the load a little bit here for a minute, two minutes, three possessions. You know, that's it. That that makes a big difference just in the middle of a game. You get like you get your own little timeout. Absolutely, and uh, it's impressive. I hopefully hopefully his number. Well, I don't know. I guess hopefully I like I like Schroeder, so he I'll was say never I'll say a great that. shooter. So don't like I wouldn't count on that. It's more about timely shooting with him than it is. Yeah, I mean last year he was like thirty eight percent, but mostly he's been like a mid thirties average shooter. But he takes difficult ones too, so you can kind of balance it out there. Mm-hmm. And last year, like you said on the Thunder, he was with 
Chris Paul, SGA, Steven Adams, Danilo Gallinari, like a lot of really solid dudes. I missed that team, by the way. Yeah, that was just a fun team. Island of Misfit Toys out there in OKC. Absolutely. Um, but let's just round round up the the leaders in the clubhouse here, Lakers in the West, Sixers in the East. That's what we're at. Um, just give me one team that you're, you or you would be most scared of if you were the Lakers, and then we'll do the Sixers next. You don't have to go into it too deep, but just one team. One team, Western Conference, if I'm the Lakers. The I answer mean, could I, be I, nobody. I, what? The answer could be nobody. No, it's not it's not nobody. Not especially not in, in a weird season like this. I mean, I still think it's the Clippers. Just mm-hmm. quietly the Clippers are chugging along with the best offense in the NBA. Their defense has been really not great, but their offense has been clicking and I think they the thing about the Clippers defensively is they might not be elite over the course of the entire game, but they can get stops in certain situations, especially at the end, late in games. You got Kawhi, Paul George, Serge Ibaka. Those three guys, Pat Beverly, four, four, you know, Serge, not, maybe not as much anymore, but, you know, three and a half elite defenders who on any given possession can get you a stop. So that's, to me, why, why they're so dangerous. They can keep up offensively, and then in crunch time, they, they have the bodies to match up defensively. Absolutely. And uh, the one thing for the Clippers that sticks out, uh, when I've watched them, is Serge Ibaka. I've loved what he's brought to that team. Uh, right, right, Just being able to do more than Montrez Harrell from a defensive standpoint and from an offensive standpoint, for all the energy that Harrell brought, he wasn't you know, a truly skilled player, and he definitely didn't space the floor. He was more of like an energy guy. He had some great finishing moves. That was his skill, but that was really where it ended. Serge Ibaka is spreading the floor. He's doing more in the post. He's shooting 37% from three right now. So I'm loving what I'm seeing from Serge Ibaka. But Duff, let me read this to you real quick because the Clippers' number one offense is for a good reason. All right, here we go. Paul George, eight three-point attempts a game, 48%. Kawhi, five attempts, 42%. Nick Batum, four and a half attempts, 44%. Patrick Beverly, four and a half attempts, 41%. Marcus Morris, four attempts, 47%. Luke Kennard, just under four attempts, 44%. And last but not least, Reggie Jackson, three attempts, 38% from three. <laughs> They're getting good looks. That's, what do you want me to say, man? That's damn crazy. So, yes, yeah, even if that balances now, out a look, bit, they're that awesome. That was just a couple of them. Wow, that's that's weird, you know? That's a couple of them, like, oh, man, maybe that's just hot. They're just hot. You just rattled off, like, six guys. The entire so rotation, if, basically. If, if, if all those guys are shooting 40% from three, that... That tells me this this is like a systemic success rate. You know, you see what I'm saying here? Yeah, like absolutely. It's, it's, that's something like it's it's to me that tells me it's not a mirage. And that I mean, and if you think about it, the ones who you would say are a mirage, you'd be like, all right, Patrick Beverly, we've seen him take four threes a game. He's probably not forty percent. Maybe he'll be thirty seven percent. That's still really hey, good. We saw, what's his name? Draymond Green get hot for like thirty six, thirty seven percent that one year. You know, like T Bev is a year. way better shooter than than Draymond is. Right, and then I I, I love the Luke Kennard addition here from an offensive standpoint. A guy who knows what to do with the basketball has enough in between game with the some floaters and whatnot, and a, a damn smooth stroke. So you look at some of the additions and Nick Batum. You know, we'll see if he can keep it up, but. Yeah, honestly, the, the most you. unreal percentage in that is Kawhi's. 40, 42% on five attempts? Uh, yeah. Paul George is 48%. <laughs> I 
but he's a great shooter. Yes, that's true. He really is. That's true. And, uh, I mean, Nick Batum, Batum, we all thought he was absolutely fried in the first he week of the season. He was a great shooter seven years ago. Apparently, he's kept up on it. I wouldn't know, personally, <laughs> because I haven't seen him play NBA basketball because he hasn't been. But apparently, in the driveway at home, he has been getting shots up. Yeah, for real. From that one corner, bro. If you're watching a game on TV, the near side corner of the left side of the court and the far side corner of um, the right side of the court is, is where Batum lives. He makes a living there. It's insane. Uh, but yeah, I'm a, I'm with you, man. The Jazz have been awesome this year. The Clippers are still the biggest threat. All right, who's the biggest threat for the Sixers? Real quick before we do last words. Nets. That simple. Still, I still believe in the Nets. They score. They're scoring like a million points per hundred possessions. I I just I'm sorry. Since James Harden got there, they they've actually been scoring like 130 points per possession. Now they've been giving up like 129 points per possession. Per hundred possession, but it, it's it's stupid. So put it to you this way: when Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, you know Draymond, all the Warriors, the 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 death lineup, Hamptons Five, whatever you want to call them, Warriors, right? They were like historic at like one seventeen, one eighteen points per one hundred possessions. Now you're telling me someone's like thirteen points better than that. <laughs> You know, 13 to 15 points better than that on on the night in basis because they have James Harden on the team. Like, this team cannot play defense. There's no doubt in my mind. But no one can stop them. Like, I don't understand how you're going to outscore Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving. I still haven't figured that part out yet. And we'll see. I mean, like I said before, Sixers, terrible matchup for the Nets. You know, like... DeAndre Jordan would foul out in warm-ups, but still, Nets just way too talented. That, that's the thing, though, because DeAndre Jordan will foul out in the first quarter, but if the— if That the, might be good for them. Yeah, exactly. That might be good for them. And then if the Nets can just space him out for, you know, bursts of time for, like, four-minute stretches of time and just go on 8-0 runs in, th- in two or three minutes, you know what I mean? Like, if they can use, like, the death lineup in Golden State, they, that, that lineup didn't play that much. That was the misconception about that lineup— with like Iguodala and Draymond being the bigs in the lineup, right? What was it, Livingston? No, it was uh no. Oh, that's what the, the Durant lineup. So I was right. Steph, right. Clay, Draymond, Durant, and Iguodala. That lineup didn't play that much. It played at the end of fourth quarters, closed sometimes, but it came in and absolutely punched you in the mouth. So that can happen here with these three dudes, Joe Harris and maybe Jeff Green. That seems like that would be their best iteration of the lineup. Bruce now, Brown, maybe. True, Bruce Brown. I don't love Jeff Green, but he's been decent, right? So Bruce Brown's been hot. I like Bruce Brown. He, he's a nice nice player, physical, can shoot a little bit. But it's crazy. And James Harden right here for me, he's kind of the guy who can unlock it, if you ask me, because Kevin Durant, 30 points, you know, seven rebounds, six assists. Sleep. Like, just... He's just cruising to 37 and six. It's insane. Every time he plays, just tip your cap and be like, I'm watching a legend. He's in the, he's like the only thing in the league in the LeBron James realm is Kevin Durant. And we're, I'm honored to watch him play basketball. James Harden's averaging 11 assists since entering in Brooklyn, 11 assists. He, he, he might be on track to become the league leaguer and assists again. And uh, that could be the key right there. And if that small lineup with Joe Harris and Jeff green can come in and go on a 10 0 run, Ah, I'm nervous as hell. I'm nervous as hell. But you got to mention the Celtics because Tatum and Brown are just entering the new level 
of dynamic duos right now. So those are I mean, the two. they're back together hopefully now. Like Tatum was out for so long. Yeah, they, he, he's that back team now. hasn't been healthy altogether once this season. Exactly, and they're still the two seed currently as we speak. Yeah, right? even though I think they're losing to the Spurs. As no, we actually, speak as well. Yeah, the, the did they lose to the Spurs earlier? I think it was like tied at the end of the game. I missed the end of that. Not sure, but what are you gonna do? Oh, they lost. Ah. All right, so now they were in my now the five seed. They were in my parlay. God damn it. Um, but anyways, good good talk right there on the leaders in the clubhouse. I think it's important. Every once in a while, you have to just take a look at the best teams in the league and say what's going on. Are they really the best? And in this case, I think we can say the Lakers are obviously the best team in the league. And the Sixers, for the time being, deserve to be the leaders in the clubhouse in the East. And until further notice, until truly challenged, until beaten at home on multiple occasions, they're they're the best right now. Are you confident saying that? Uh, I still think that their record is inflated because they played so many bad teams early. But yeah, so far they're the best team in the East. Okay. Okay, there we go. And we'll watch the Nets as, as we move forward. Uh, John Lucas Duffy, Pete Kennedy, Subway Sports Talk Podcast. If you like what you've been hearing, go on Apple Podcast app, hit subscribe, download the episodes, turn on notifications. That's something people forget to do sometimes. And uh, leave a little rating review. That means the world to us. And we get to see what you guys think of the show, what you want to hear more of, because uh, we will respond. And if you ask for something, we're going to try to deliver it. We got we got to give the people what they want. Right, Duff? So, Hell yeah. We also give the people last words every single episode. John Lucas Duffy, give us your last word. Shout outs here. Uh, this is the 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 award for the Draymond Green Memorial Life Comes at You Fast Award. Yes, the best award goes to. It's actually a a four four way. Yeah, let's make it a four way tie this week. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. <laughs> John Wall. Oh. Russell Westbrook, oh. Bradley Beal, and myself. <laughs> <laughs> because, Explain. man, I thought the Wizards were going to at least be 500 because they have Beal and Wall. I mean, their point differential does not scream a team that's, you know, 3-10. and 10. Not winning record. Maybe, you know, maybe 7-11, and 11, like somewhere in the Charlotte range. I mean, they're, they're minus 3 uh, is their point differential. But, man, 3-10. and 10. That's like a possession. That's like minus three is their point differential. That's like uh, one possession. All these. So, but they. I feel like they're getting smoked. So I don't know how it's only minus th- minus three. They're terrible. Russell Westbrook, <laughs> John Wall screaming at each other the other night. Just absurd. Just it's it's it was like watching two trash cans banging into each other on a on a windy day. Like it just didn't make any sense. It was ugly. Why am I watching? Just awful, and Bradley Beal is just—he is the most patient man in America. I don't know how he isn't demanding. He looked like he was about to be crying on the bench the other night, though. For real, like I, <laughs> he's like, I'm just gonna lead. I'm just gonna sit here quietly and lead the league in scoring. I guess I got one. My one teammate was getting fat, throwing up gang signs, and now my other teammate is just like screaming at that that first teammate, <laughs> telling him he's trash. Meanwhile, he's like shooting forty percent from the floor and twenty percent from three. Oh, like, what am I doing here? Oh, it's bad. It's real bad. And I don't know how the hell their their uh point differentials that that close because they've only won three how? games. Like how? They did beat the Suns by twenty one. Uh then they beat the Nets by one. And they beat the Timberwolves by twenty one as well. So I guess their their two two oh. of their three wins have forty two points 
positive in the, in the point differential. And you do have to remember they missed six games for COVID. So, you know, take it for what you want, but their points differential shows they should be better than they are right now. But also they missed six games for COVID. So maybe, just maybe, you have to give a team with some new pieces a little bit of time, but there is like no hope right now on the Washington Wizards. It is ugly. Me, you, Frank, Kyle, all eating crow on this. Your brother's the only one in the first week of the season we did our regrets podcast from our preseason takes. He was like, I regret taking the over on the Wizards. I don't know what I thought. This team's not good. And we were like, nah, yo, they're going to turn around. And <laughs> no turnarounds other than Bradley Beal's jumper is worth nothing. No one, I, I don't think anyone in the world talks more shit about Russell Westbrook and then still overrates him ex- other than me. Like, all I don't know who does that better than me. I think we all did it. He's right now, by the way, Russell Westbrook. But yeah. I was the OG. I was talking about this like five years. I mean, me and you both, but yes. g- going at Frank specifically about it. And, that mean, was like the, the original Duffers Frank battles was about Russell Westbrook and how he was trash. And uh, man, it, it just, it, even if you love the guy, it is getting harder and harder and harder to defend him. I haven't defended him much recently until, you know, there was a point of last year where he stopped shooting threes and he was attacking like a crazy mf'er, and he was making a lot of impact on basketball games. We were hoping for that in Washington, but guess what, Duff? Almost five threes a game for him. Just got to 30%, literally 30% on the dot at the moment. He's he taking still, five free throws. He made an all-NBA team last season. Like, who did that? Who who the fuck did that and had the vote? It's like, because he had a good month. It's he had like, a good oh month. Oh, my God, we got to keep this guy relevant. And uh, he's he's currently only taking .8 more free throw attempts than three-point attempts, and that just shouldn't be the case. But also, he's only 61% Whoa. from free throw. So, you know, what really is better? <laughs> I don't know. That's actually a funny story. So if anyone wants to learn what happened to Russell Westbrook and his free throws and when they, they, cause he used to be good at it. Look up the story about when his free throws started to plummet. Just look up Russell Westbrook free throws, half court, and you'll, you'll see some stuff. Do oh some God. Googling. I don't even know. You got homework people. I have homework. I don't even know what you're talking about. You have to Go tell check me it out. It's absurd. That's crazy. Um, All right, what are your last words? Oh yeah, there we go. Sorry. Uh, last words. I have to just take a moment here to talk about, a stat that I looked up because I looked it up. And when you look something up, you got to say it out loud because you don't just look it up for no reason. Are you ready for this? I have a Knicks take after this, but here's my, here's my, uh, my last words. That's not Knicks related. Cause I've been making a habit of doing Knicks stuff. Here are true statements about Zach Levine. I tweeted this out. His field goal attempts per game are down 1.5 attempts from 20 to 18.5, but his points per game are up 1.5. From 25 and a half to 27. His usage duff is also down 2.1% per game from 31.7, which is one of the higher in the league to just 29.6. Still one of the higher ones in the league, but down. So you're getting it. Less shots, more points, less usage, more points. With the less usage, there's also a whole assist more for Zach Levine from 4.2 to 5.3. On top of that, he's actually been a phenomenal shooter for years, and that's continuing. As of yesterday, 50% from the field, 39.7 from three, so almost 40, and 87% from the free throw line. Duff, those numbers are undeniable. Yet, we sit here thinking Zach Levine cannot be a number one. I think that's still true. He cannot be a number one. But goddamn, is he looking as close to a good number two as you can find in the NBA right now. And I don't know what he can do with less usage, even less than that. 
Can he play solid enough defense? But we all, as a basketball community, especially like the nerd community of basketball, just swept Zach Levine under the rug and said, he's done, he's inefficient, he doesn't win, he's not a winning player, he doesn't play defense, he doesn't pass, blah, blah, blah. Assists up, usage down, points up, shots down. Everything we've kind of asked from him, he's starting to put together a little bit, but this Bulls team is still trash. I kind of want to see Zach Levine on a good team. I'm not ready to say he's going to be awesome or he is awesome, but he's looking awesome at, at points right now, and I kind of want to see what he could do on a good team. He's only like 25 years old, and that's kind of crazy, those efficiency numbers from the shooting perspective and uh, some of the other stuff he's doing on offense. So it feels like he's a couple of years older than that. Yeah, I've, I've watched some Bulls games this year. He's definitely balling. Kobe White's definitely balling. Otto Porter looks really good in first halves and then disappears. Garrett Temple looks pretty good. The bigs seem like they're just out there to rebound and not to actually shoot at any point in time. And Carter's out for like four weeks, I think, too. Yeah. But I'm just saying all of them. Just all of them are out there to rebound. Yeah. Um, and if you can... It's, if- like, it's like Oakley and Rodman. It's like, <laughs> it's like Cartwright and Longley. It's crazy. It's not what you want with... Uh- you know, Laurie Markinen, a guy who we probably haven't thought of since his rookie year, unfortunately. And Wendell Carter, a guy I know we all liked. But if you catch a Bulls game in the future and it's close, I'm telling you, you're going to be scared if you're rooting against the Bulls when Zach Levine has the ball. He, he's a scary guy if you're rooting against him. And that's, that's always Bill Simmons' thing. He's like, how scared are you of somebody when you're rooting against them? That's how you really know what you think of them. And if I watch Zach Levine, like, say, versus the Knicks or, say, against a team that I bet on, I don't want him with the ball in his hands because he can do a lot on offense. So, I digress. Um, Lastly, on the Knicks, Duff, we haven't spoken Knicks, you and I, specifically. Um, But I have a take that I think has been pretty spot on so far. The Knicks are not as good as some people want them to be. It's very okay. They uh, just got, you know, brutalized by the Jazz. And... They, I forget who they lost to the night before that, but they're, you know, they're still eight and eight. Is that right? That can't be right. They're eight and eight. No, no eight they're eight and at least. They're eight and eleven. I'm sorry, I had uh, unrefreshed standings on my screen there. Uh, okay. They're eight and eleven. They've lost three in a row, and that's all okay. But this is what's not okay to me, Duff. And this has been the one thing I was worried about the entire time, is the minutes and the way they've been given out to players this year. Austin Rivers was ten for ten with 25 points at halftime the other night versus the Jazz. Do you know when he entered the game, j in the third quarter? Uh, trick question, he didn't. That's a good answer, but no, he entered with four Damn. minutes left. So, wow. a guy who literally did not miss That's in the normal first half. rotation. It is, but if you're watching the rest of the, of the third quarter where the offense was fumbling... Nobody was getting good shots. It was just frustrating when yeah. I'm sitting there at eight minutes. I'm like, all right, you know, if you put Rivers in right now, I'd be pretty happy about it. But, you know, it's still early. Six minutes, all right, we really could use Rivers back in this game right now. Five minutes, all right. Is Rivers and Quickly not back in yet? And Quickly actually played out of crap. But the unit just moves the ball better and, and is spaces the floor better. And it was just frustrating. And that was a microcosm of Tibbs. He, he sticks to his rotation. He sticks to his guys. And to a point with, like, R.J. Barrett, I want to see R.J. Barrett play 30 a night. I don't care. I want to see Julius Randle and Mitchell Robinson play 30 a night. I don't care. But when it comes to Alfred Payton, Alec Burks, Austin Rivers, uh, Emmanuel Clickley, Frank Nilekina, who hasn't played a lick since coming back from his injury, 
it seems like he's afraid to mix it up. He's afraid to try out new stuff. And I get it's early, but I'm worried that part of Tibbs, you know, structure as a coach is not going to change. Um, so that's my one gripe right now. And also, I just want to keep reminding Nick fans, this is not a great team. They are just playing very solid basketball right now. They're playing very hard basketball right now. But the offense is really bad. They muck it up. They slow it down. So they're in games. And when you're in games, it's kind of all I'm asking for right now. I want competitive basketball. But the offense is really bad. And if there's not some more mix-ups in the guard position, it's going to start becoming very frustrating. Not just for me, because I'm already frustrated, but for, I think, all Knicks fans. I I love everything you said right there about this is a competitive team. It's not a great team, and that's what you want. Mixing up the minutes, I mean, maybe he's just trying to establish roles. A lot of times, especially with a coach like Tibbs, those minutes will come from pl- practice performance. Right. And and they'll, they'll be strict about that. What I see him, you know, come to play every day, it's a consistency thing and reward that consistency. So... I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I wasn't watching that game, so it felt like the game was slipping out of hand in the third quarter and you needed to just get some scoring. Yeah, you know, break your rotation, but... Yeah, it just, you know... Normal he, rotation. He has this this super... <laughs> Not to shoot you down there, but... <laughs> no, of course. I, I And Wally Zerbiak, I was basically Alan Hahn and you were Wally Zerbiak because Hahn said exactly what I said. And Wally was like, listen, as a bench player, you get in a routine, you know when you're going in, you know who you're mostly going to be going up against. And a lot of players and coaches don't like to mess that up. So, you know, I, I, I may not be perfectly right on that situation, but it was just a frustrating thing to watch. Um, and I was going to say one more thing that I just forgot. Probably not that important. But you're Wally Zerbiak. Common sex and most approved player. Yeah. You're, I just gave you a Wally Zerbiak shout-out. Do you, do you accept as an analysis and basketball player? Uh, I actually don't remember him much as a basketball player, but I, I like him. Just know that he on, uh, on MSG. He, I was more of a Darko Milicic guy. Yeah, what the? Heck? Don't that's <laughs> no, just, just rude. Playing, okay, good. Uh, Wally was raining threes back in the day. Just that's all you need to know. The fresh Zerbiak Timberwolves jersey. You know? Yeah, Timberwolves. I remember that. All right. Anyways, John Lucas Duffy. I'm Pete Kennedy. This has been Subway Sports Talk, and we'll be back for more. It's a Super Bowl next week. God damn, I forgot about that. We went this whole episode. I didn't even mention football because the week between now and Super Bowl. I just believe football doesn't exist until like Wednesday next week. Anyways, that's it. That's all we got to say. Jay Lou, Pete Kennedy, NBA Outsiders, Subway Sports Talk. Have a great day, everybody.